This is the Vandy Sports Podcast on the 440 Sports Network, and I'm your host, Billy Derrick. This week's Vanderbilt football pregame show is brought to you by The Wash House, the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, Sutherland & Belk, and the Maynard Nexon Government Contracts Group. Topics on today's show, as well as this season's baseball content, are presented by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company. They are a family-owned third-generation milk and ice cream distribution company located in Murfreesboro. A partnership began over 50 years ago with Purity Dairy in Nashville to provide purity milk and ice cream to consumers in Middle Tennessee, especially Chris Lee's household. And they now serve Southern Kentucky, Northern Alabama, Chattanooga, and North Georgia. Today, they supply grocery stores, convenience stores, and others with Purity products, as well as Mayfield, Nestle, and haagen ice cream. For more info, visit their website. That's mpmci.com. Again, that's mpmci.com, and tell them vandysports.com sent you. This week, we're previewing Vanderbilt's matchup with number one Georgia. The top-ranked Bulldogs roll into Nashville for an 11 a.m. kickoff on Saturday Right here in the Music City, you can watch it on CBS. So game one of a doubleheader. The game two will be Tennessee and Texas A&M in Knoxville. We'll uh, we'll get to your mailbag questions, some of the last-minute questions. We'll uh, preview the matchup. Uh, we'll get to what to watch for with Joey Dwyer. And then Kevin Ingram, sideline reporter for the Vanderbilt Radio Network. And then we'll close it out talking Georgia with Anthony Dasher, the managing editor for UGASports.com, Georgia's rival site. Really good info from Anthony and giving us the lowdown on the Bulldogs, especially uh, how they're riding high after their win over Kentucky in Athens. But first, today's news. It is brought to you by The Wash House, which is also our presenting sponsor for basketball season coming up. So we're going to be bringing up The Wash House a lot in your your ears. Are you dealing with laundry day or are you dreading laundry day? Is it stealing time? to do the things that you truly enjoy, let the laundry professionals at the Wash House take care of that for you. With two convenient locations in the greater Nashville area, just drop off your dirty laundry and their professional attendants can give you back the one thing you can never have enough of, your time. Within 24 hours, you can pick up your nicely folded, fresh and clean laundry ready to be put away. Log on to washhouseclean.com. Again, that's washhouseclean.com. Or stop in today and get your time back. Number one, Georgia. The Bulldogs roll into Nashville. They are a whopping 31.5-point favorite at Vanderbilt right here in Nashville on Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff, again, on CBS. Vanderbilt, of course, coming off a 38-14 loss at Florida uh, down in Gainesville last week. The game was tied at 7 after the first quarter, but the Gators scored the next three touchdowns to take a 28-7 lead. Vandy cut it to 28-14 in the second half, but Florida put the game out of reach uh, in the fourth quarter. And obviously uh, that led to Vanderbilt's fifth straight loss. So Commodores reeling right now. They got Georgia on Saturday. Then they got a bye week. And then they got to head down to Oxford to play Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels. And obviously there's frustration. There's frustration everywhere uh, with the coaches, with the players, and most importantly with the fans. I mean, you know, we, we do this show for the fans. We know you guys are frustrated. Uh, the reason why is because expectations coming into this season were high, and reasonably so. Everyone should have been excited uh, for this season. I think Clark had said he hadn't been this excited for a football season in his t- entire career. Fans were excited. Uh, there was positivity heading into the season. But in the midst of a five-game losing streak, Clark Lee said everyone is frustrated, but that they've gotten back to playing cleaner football these last couple of games despite the results on the scoreboard. You know... I think it starts with acknowledging everyone's, you know, frustration. I mean, I, you know, we're all competitive and prideful and we had, we have a great design for this season. Um, and our expectations internally were really high and we've fallen short. And I think you can look um, at the season and say, you know, we, we won a couple of games early and, um, and, and they weren't, they weren't perfect and they weren't pretty necessarily, but we won them. And then we went on a three-game stretch where we turned the ball over nine times, four of which went for touchdown, and we just got jarred out of any sense of rhythm. Um, and what, what I what I see right now is, you know, like almost like there was a three-week stretch where all we talk, could talk about was ball security and decisions with the ball. And um, I think we've we've gotten back on track that way. I, I again, I can't stand up and really impressed with Ken Seals and. You know, I, I felt like in review of the film, 
our offensive line did a nice job in protection. I think a couple times they were able to just compress the pocket early and get him on the move. But I thought on the move, he made good decisions, including throwing the ball away so we could punt it. Um, and so, um, you know, so now as we've gotten through that stretch and we're starting to play um, with a little more identity and a little more consistency that way, you know, we're, we're trying to make up ground on some of those margins that when we started the season, we said we're razor thin. Margins are still razor thin, and, and we knew that heading into the season. Uh, we saw the loss in Winston-Salem to Wake Forest. Turnovers were the story, uh, you know, procedural penalties, and then you lost in Vegas to UNLV. Procedural penalties, boneheaded mistakes, and turnovers were, again, the problem. But then you get into SEC play. You start to fix some of those mistakes, but you're you're playing better competition, and that continues with the Georgia Bulldogs on, on Saturday, uh, the top-ranked Georgia Bulldogs. AP number one team of the country. The Commodores have faced the AP number one team nine times in program history. The last time Vandy hosted the number one team in the country back in 2017. You remember that 59 to zero loss against Alabama? Well, hopefully the opposite happens and Vanderbilt competes and fights their tails off on Saturday against Georgia. The Georgia matchup will be the 83rd meeting all time between the Commodores and the Bulldogs dating all the way back to 1893. So one of the more historical and older matchups in the SEC. This will be Vandy's 11th appearance on CBS national television and the first since that Alabama game back in 2017. Vandy and Georgia have met twice on CBS, once back in 2013. That was a 31-27 win uh, for the Commodores under James Franklin. And they also played on CBS back in 2015 against Georgia. The Bulldogs got the best of the Commodores, 31-14. to 14. Uh, That was a, uh, a loss under Coach Mason. So, obviously, Vanderbilt's familiar with Georgia. Last win over the Bulldogs was that 2013 victory. So, it's been 10 years uh, since Vanderbilt has beaten Georgia. And it's also been five years since Vanderbilt has even scored a touchdown against Georgia. So, we'll be talking about that uh, a little bit later in the podcast. Vanderbilt has lost five straight to Georgia, including the last two uh, by final margins of 55 to zero last season and 62 to zero in 2021. And I actually misspoke Vanderbilt um, last beat Georgia, of course, under coach Mason, you know, the first year of Kirby smart, but the last win at home was 2013. So I want to correct myself there. But as I mentioned, Vanderbilt has not scored a touchdown against Georgia since 2018. That's a streak of 12 consecutive quarters against the Bulldogs without scoring a touchdown. It's going to be tough again on Saturday, but looking at Georgia's schedule, you know, they gave up 21 points against UAB. And, you know, Auburn put up 20 points on them. That was a tough contested game. So I don't know if this is the same Georgia team uh, that we're used to the last couple of years. Although, Red, as I say that, look back last week, they dominated Kentucky in Athens. Speaking of that win in Athens, Georgia Bulldogs head coach Kirby Smart loves what he has in his team right now. And he also has a close relationship with Clark Lee, Vanderbilt's head coach. Uh, these, Like I said, these two programs are familiar with each other. Uh, that relationship between Kirby and Clark has been well-documented. Uh, he went through similar struggles early in his build uh, with Georgia, especially being an alum of the school like Clark. And earlier this week, Kirby was asked if he could compare his build and some of his struggles early at Georgia to Clark Lee's build at Vanderbilt. He, he brought up the fact that Will Muschamp, an assistant on Georgia's defensive staff, has a son committed to Vanderbilt. Whitmuschamp as a quarterback, and, and there are obvious differences between Vandy and Georgia at this point, but Kirby said he's got a ton of respect for what Clark is doing on West End. Every year. I don't think I can because I don't know. I don't know his issues and problems. I think we all have our uh, distinct institutional things that we deal with, um, and everybody's is different. I mean, whether it's geographically, academically, uh you know, financially, I mean, every everybody's situation is completely different. So I can't draw a comparison to his, and he's not one to sit around and complain and cry about it. He's from there. He's proud of it, and he's, they've done a tremendous job. I think uh, he has the right approach. He knows uh, the area. He knows that state. He knows um, the, the institution, which institutional knowledge is uh, is powerful information. So it's hard for me to draw a comparison. Um, I have a lot of respect for him, and as you know, one of our coaches – sons is committed there so i know that will has a lot of respect for their program and and, and what clark's done and I mean, he went on an official visit there so uh, has a lot of respect for what they're doing 
And on the other side, Clark has a ton of respect for what Kirby Smart has built at Georgia. Back-to-back national titles. Uh, they're going for their third, a three-peat first time since Minnesota way back in the day. So you got to have respect for Georgia. I mean, they're the best team in the country. Like I said, they're coming off a huge win over Kentucky at home last week, and they're six and zero. They have they've they've found their groove. Uh, up until that Kentucky game, they really hadn't played a, a great team or, or great competition. But you got to play the games on your schedule. They started the season with a forty eight seven win over UT Martin. Then they dominated Ball State, and then they played South Carolina on the road and struggled a little bit, especially early on. But they ended up getting a twenty four fourteen win over the Gamecocks, and then they hosted Trent Dilfer's. UAB Blazers, and like I said, the Blazers put up 21 points, but Georgia also put up some some offensive production of their own 49-point outage uh, there against the Blazers. And then a couple of weeks ago, at Jordan-Hare Stadium down on the Plains, they were in a tight battle with Auburn. They beat the Tigers 27-20. to Brock Bowers had the game-winning touchdown and proved how good he is, and we'll talk more about Bowers here in a second. And then last week, 51-13. to over Mark Stoops' Kentucky Wildcats, a team that Vanderbilt has already played this year. So, you know, you got a familiar opponent with the Georgia Bulldogs, and this is the best team Vanderbilt has played by by far. This is the best team on Vanderbilt's schedule, obviously. They're averaging 41 points per game, 502 total yards of offense per game, 350 passing yards per game. They're not as good in the running game as they have been, though. They're averaging just 153 rushing yards per game. I mean, that's nothing to scoff at, but not as dominant in the run game as Bulldog fans are used to seeing. So we'll talk more about that uh, as well later in the in the episode. But players to watch, it starts at quarterback with Carson Beck. He's second in the SEC in passing yards, 1,886 on the season, 11 touchdowns and only three interceptions. So he has played clean football. He's been efficient, 73% completion percentage. That's second in the SEC right there behind Graham Mertz at Florida, who Vanderbilt played last week. And he's only been sacked three times. Once again, this Georgia offensive line has protected their quarterback, and they've been phenomenal. Last week against Kentucky, 389 yards and four touchdowns for Carson Beck. So he is riding high after a great performance last week against the Wildcat defense. Next player to watch, there, there's no secret about Brock Bowers. Uh, their, their stud tight end, 37 catches, 545 yards and four touchdowns. And last week against Kentucky, he passed A.J. Green with his 24th career receiving touchdown. So keep an eye on Brock Bowers. I mean, every defensive coordinator loses sleep over him. I put a piece out uh, yesterday about how Clark plans to defend Brock Bowers. I thought it was interesting information about what you have to do, especially if you're a team like Vanderbilt. Uh, So Brock Bowers, obviously, uh, will have all of Vanderbilt's attention. At the running back position, they're led by Dejan Edwards so far, 321 yards and five touchdowns. They've been banged up at that position. Anthony Dasher did a good job of running through that running back position and how banged up they have been this season. So once they get healthier, they'll probably be they'll probably be a little bit more productive at that running back position, but it's not as dominant of a Georgia running game that we are used to seeing. They got a lot of good receivers. Lad McConkie is getting back healthy. Uh, and, and he's a guy that's been there for a long time, but they got a couple of transfers, Ron Ra Thomas from Mississippi State, who has a touchdown this year, and Dominic Lovett from Missouri, both of them over 200 yards receiving. Feels feels like they're still you know, trying to get their, their feet under them and, and, and build some confidence and chemistry with Carson Beck, but, I mean, those are really talented receivers. Marcus Rosemi, Jack Saint, had a touchdown last week, two touchdowns on the season, over 300 yards, so... They've got weapons, and and Carson Beck will sit back there if you give him time, and he will dice you up uh, if if you let him. On defense, I look at the two inside linebackers. Small Munden leads the team with 26 tackles, and also Jamin Dumas-Johnson. He leads the team with two and a half sacks. He also has four and a half tackles for loss. So there are a lot of other players on this Georgia defense to watch for, but I like those two inside linebackers uh, to key on, Munden and Dumas-Johnson. Beautiful day coming up Saturday uh, in Nashville. It's going to be a mix of clouds and sunshine. The high is 67 degrees, so bring your quarter zips, maybe a sweatshirt. It's going to be a beautiful day in Nashville, so looking forward to seeing all of you guys out there. Uh, There will be a little bit of wind, uh, 10 to 20 mile per hour wind, so wind might affect this one, uh, but not too, too much uh, on Saturday in the Music City. Let's get to the injury report. Clark gave uh, final updates on Thursday of this week. B.J. Anderson, cornerback, will not be available. Wide receiver Gamarion Carter will be out. That's more of a long-term injury. They're, they're looking for more answers on that one. Martel Height, cornerback, will be out. 
Jalen Mahoney is back, though. So great, great sight for Vanderbilt fans to have Mahoney back. Uh, offensive lineman Jake Ketchek is back practicing, so he's getting back into a groove. Dericky Wright at safety is out. Uh, Clark said he's going to need consecutive weeks off just to get get back healthy. And, and the bye week, uh, obviously coming next week, uh, will be good. Will be big for Dericky uh, to get back after that. Grayson Morgan, who has played at right tackle this season, uh, is out on Saturday. Kane Patterson, of course, is out, but he should be back after the bye. So both Dericky Wright and Kane Patterson should both be back after the bye week. And then freshman receiver London Humphreys has been back at practice. He will play, but he's not 100%, so we'll see how much uh, we see Humphreys out there. Again, the bye week will help him uh, get back to full health as well. All right, that's the injury report. Let's close out this first segment with today's mailbag, and it's brought to you by Sutherland and Belk, the longest-running sponsor of VandySports.com, so cannot thank the folks over at Sutherland and Belk enough. They are a family-owned injury law firm, as you all know, and if you or a loved one has been hurt or in an accident, give them a call. That's Taylor or Russell. The number is 615-846-6200. Again, 615-846-6200 to see what your rights are and if they can help. All right, we got a lot of uh, last-minute mailbag questions to get to. We start with NBA Door. Why are we so broken, JK? Which is more responsible for our running game issue, the personnel, the offensive line, or the scheme? That's a really good question. Um you know, I think it's a mix of all three. And, you know, I, that's such a cop-out answer. I, I hate saying that. But number one, I think the biggest thing is is the lack of push this offensive line has been able to get. Um, you know, they've been decent at times, so they just haven't been consistent enough. And uh, it's an older group, and it's a lot of guys that were recruited by Mason. Uh, I think Clark Lee's recruits are a lot more athletic, and uh, they, they probably fit this RPO scheme better. Uh, but Vanderbilt's got to work with the the veteran guys they've got right now. So I mean, you know, they they're not going to throw freshmen and sophomores out there quite yet. I know we've seen Grayson Morgan, we've seen Gage Pitchford, who uh, is a little bit of a younger guy, and uh, we've seen Leighton Nelson. Uh, so I mean, you're starting to see the young guys, but you got to you got to play the veterans uh, as long as they're healthy. You know, I mean, it, it, they're they're likely the best options right now. Uh, but yeah, I think the O line and their lack of push has been the biggest thing. Running backs, they are what they are. I mean, obviously, you don't have a Ray Davis type of guy back there that can uh, negate some of your issues in the in the run block scheme. But I think Cedric Alexander has really come on. Obviously, you saw him get the start last week in Gainesville. I think he's going to start again against Georgia. He's a guy that fits that RPO scheme perfectly. He's not the biggest back, uh, but he's got elusiveness. He's got speed. He's got quickness. I think he fits great with that RPO. Now they just need to solve that offensive line to make those offensive line parts and pieces fit the RPO scheme. Um, I, again, I don't know if I, the scheme isn't the problem. I mean, I, I don't think they could be a ground and pound type team, you know, and run the I formation. I think they're running probably the best um, type of scheme with the guys they've got. Obviously they had to switch it a little bit after Mike Wright left last year and they were kind of eyeing the RPO scheme with AJ Swan. Of course, Swan got hurt. The offensive line has not played up to their capability. So I think the number one issue is the lack of push in the offensive line. The running backs are young. I mean, I think they've got good backs. They're just young. Patrick Smith, is he is who he is. He's a veteran, but, you know, he is who he is. And then same with Chase Gillespie. But I really like all three young running backs, Cedric Alexander, A.J. Newberry, and Diego Benson. So the future is bright with the running game. But that those would be uh, my answers for that question. Uh, next up, Godors94. What are the differences between the defense under Jesse Minter and Nick Howell? Are there any statistical differences? Well, yes, uh, there, there are statistical differences, um, you know, and, and it's interesting to look at because Jesse Minter, you know, came to Vanderbilt and, and I think, you know, he had a great relationship with uh, with Clark Lee, but he was a guy that Michigan plucked away and, you know, he was not going to, he just was not going to turn that down. Um, you know, he, he just, he wasn't. And so, you know, you look at the defense and, you know, overall, I don't have the stats in front of me. I wish I did. But, yes, the, I have looked at the stats before. I, I I guess I don't have proof right now. But, yes, there there has been a statistical decline in the defensive numbers in terms of points given up, yards given up, both in the pass game and run game, since Jesse Mentor left. That, that first year was the best defensive year, at least statistically, we've seen at Vanderbilt. Um, and, and last season, you saw in the first year under Nick Howell, felt like everybody was sort of getting their feet wet 
And uh, and then this year, you know, you've seen more defensive struggles. I don't know if it's been worse than last year, but it obviously hasn't been better. So I, I think there's there are a lot of questions to be answered, whether it's personnel. Uh, obviously, they've been banged up in the secondary. I don't think the defensive line is good enough quite yet. Uh, they haven't gotten enough push. They haven't gotten as much push as I've expected. Um, but, you know, I just – I don't know. It's, it's tough to answer, but I do think there are differences – in the way you know Jesse Minter prepared his defense and the way Nick Howell has prepared his defense. Um, and the stats have, have shown it to be true. So I, I think in this offseason, there's going to be some questions to be answered in terms of um, coaching, in terms of personnel, in terms of scheme, and Clark's going to have to figure that out. You know, There's a lot of things the staff, and Clark especially at the top, has to figure out. I think the defensive coaching, has to be figured out in the offseason. All right. Eastettle three. Will Vandy ever apply to join the Ivy League? If not, why? Uh, no, they won't because they're in the SEC. I don't know why they would ever apply for the Ivy League. Thanks for the question, though. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Bring back Joe Fisher asks, and I agree with that username. Um, we know AD Candace Story Lee is uh, just a yes man, but how upset is Daniel Deermeyer with the football season? Deermeyer is, I mean, I, I think if you asked him, he wouldn't be happy. Nobody's happy. I mean, how could you be happy with, with what's happened this season? It was interesting. During the Kentucky game, uh, he came up and shook all of the media members' hands. I think they posted a picture of uh, of him coming up to us and and just kind of introducing himself and talking to us and and being among the people. And I, I, he's he is a man of the people. He's, he's a great guy. He's a sports fan. Uh, I think Clark said at SEC Media Days that he – he sat with Barton and Clark in his office for two or three hours just talking football, trying to learn more about football. Deermeyer is a huge sports fan. He wants Vanderbilt sports to be an elite academic or athletic department. We know Vanderbilt's an elite academic school. Deermeyer wants Vanderbilt to be at the top athletically as well. And so, no, he's not happy. No one's happy right now. Um, he's very upset to answer that question. And, you know, he wants answers just like the fans. And this offseason, like I said, is going to be huge uh, for the staff to figure out, okay, how do we get these things fixed and how do we move forward with a plan that we think can help this program succeed? Uh, obviously, you think of things like NIL, which we've talked about in our Wednesday Roundtable podcast with Luke and Chris. Those, That's an issue. Recruiting, of course. I mean, you've got to get Jimmys and Joes to campus. So, I mean, it, that's what it really comes down to. I think Deermeyer is very upset uh, to, to answer that question. Uh, let's see here. Dorfan asks, at what point is Clark Lee 100% responsible for the embarrassing product on the field? It's interesting. I was talking to somebody about this a couple of days ago, and the, the question is here, is Clark being given the resources he needs to succeed in, in terms of NIL, which is a, is a financial issue? Uh, in terms of talent, which is a recruiting issue, and in terms of uh, his staff, which is a coaching issue. Um, he controls the coaching issues, right? So he he is responsible for 100% of any coaching miscues and procedural miscue operational penalties that happen with this team. I, I, I believe that. I think he would agree with that. Um, in terms of resources, he is not 100% responsible with, you know, the the NIL flowing into their program, you know. Yes, you know you can go out and and ask for donations. You can go out and fundraise. Uh, but Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt, and, and I I think I, it's the chicken or the egg, right? You know, you obviously you need money, you need financial NIL strong standing to succeed. Um, but I think fans are also waiting for that product to happen and waiting for for Vanderbilt to come out and and start winning games and beating a team like a UNLV, which I think fans are, you know, they have a full right to say that. Um, but at the same time, if Clark's not getting, you know, the right resources, it's not 100% his fault. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say Clark's not getting everything he needs because I don't truly know that. Um, but I, I just, it's not 100% his fault. Um, it's mostly his fault, though. Like coaching miscues, uh, coaching decisions, you know, a player calling a timeout late in the, in the UNLV game. I, that's on Clark. I mean, I, you know, there have been a lot of coaching issues in this game, in this season, that I think you can put on Clark. 
But in terms of the talent, I mean, you know, he can only do so much with, with the talent that he's got. I don't think the talent is awful. I also don't think the talent is great. So at what point is it 100% on Clark? I think, you know, next year if we're still seeing these same issues, you know, or in two years we're still seeing these same issues, then it starts to get 100% on Clark. I think two years from now, if we're still seeing these same issues on the field, then it's it's all on Clark. But right now it's not quite. All right, R Seals 40. Three years for program rebuilding of this magnitude isn't long enough, especially while playing catch-up with NIL facilities and new player development. This year, including in the spring game, we seem to be plagued with more injuries than we've seen in a few years. Losing key players to other programs was a big hit this season as well. However, I've seen a notable increase in Coach Lee's sideline energy and passion the past few games, I agree, and feel it's been great for the players. He's as forthcoming in answering questions as any coach I've seen and absolutely does not deserve the level of negative support from the fan base. Is this the hardest job in all of college football right now? Whew, that is a loaded question and a great question. And I agree with most of what you said there, um, Seals. I think that's Robert Seals, Ken's dad there. Um, you know, I I think it's, it's up there. Um, is it the hardest? I don't think so. I, mean, I, I would say Northwestern's a harder job right now, you know, with, with whoever takes that job. Um, you know, you've got other places like Stanford. I mean, who wanted who whoever wanted to replace David Shaw at Stanford after everything he did to build that program? That's a tough one. Um, I do think it's it's in the top five, maybe top ten hardest jobs in all of college football right now, though. Um, but I, I want to go back to what you said there about Coach Lee's sideline energy and passion the past few games. That has been great for the players. I mean, I think recruits see that, um, and and you know he wants it. He wants success for this program, right? I mean, he wants it more than any other fan wants it. He is hurting more than any other fan is hurting after these games. The players are hurting more than any other fan is hurting after these games, right? The players want this way more than any of these fans want this, right? So I think that energy and passion – is 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 what fans like to see. Now they want to see scoreboard results, you know, in the win column. But he he's doing all the intangibles. Um, he's saying all the right things, and that's really, you know, most of what you can ask for if you're a Vanderbilt fan right now. Let's see here. Dorfan has a follow up question. Assuming that he's showing more energy and passion on the sidelines in the past few games, and it's been so great for the players, why would he wait until midway through season three to show more energy and passion on the sidelines? I think it's a good question. Um, I I think, you know, people change. <laughs> people change the way they act. And yeah, Clark Lee really, he would rarely show, I think, that much energy and passion on the sidelines. But I think he knows what this team needs. They need a strong leader. Uh, they don't really have a strong leader on the field in terms of a player. But he wants to be that strong, emotional, vocal leader as a head coach. And that's what they need right now. So I think he realized that, and, and he is he has started to change some of his habits on the sideline. And I think I think that, like I said, that's kind of a nice baseline uh, for this program to have right now. All right, MEH username. After this season, do you think Clark Lee scraps this offense and hires a high-octane guy? I, I saw this question, and I thought about it a lot, and I, I talked about it a few weeks ago as well. Uh, I, I think Vanderbilt... And again, maybe this means they change schemes. Maybe this means they bring somebody else in. But I think Vanderbilt needs a a visionary uh, at, at the offensive coordinator role. I, I think they need somebody that thinks outside the box. I think they need someone that uh, likes to to run with tempo. I think they they need an offensive coordinator that likes a mobile quarterback. Um, you know, you look back at some of the Bobby Johnson teams and, and even the James Franklin teams. You know, they they had mobile quarterbacks: Chris Nixon, Mackenzie Adams. Right, Austin Carter, Samuels, Robinette, right? all those guys were mobile quarterbacks. Even Jordan Rogers loved uh, to run the football. I know Coach Mason had Kyle Shermer, um, you know, but there was sort of a ceiling with Shermer. He couldn't run the ball, so you know you had to you had to adjust your offense to that. Number one, I think Vanderbilt needs a mobile quarterback, an athletic quarterback, um, and I think they need an offense that is is led by a visionary offensive coordinator, potentially a younger guy that would love to have the opportunity to coach at Vanderbilt and basically say, I don't care. I don't care where Vanderbilt's standing is right now in college football, but you know, you want to go win and you want to, you know, prove yourself. I think they maybe need a guy um, that, that wants to prove himself. Now that's just one person speaking. 
uh, potentially maybe they change the scheme a little bit w- within Joey Lynch's uh, coaching. But uh, that's a great question. You know, Coach Lee might make a decision. He might not. He might make a move at the OC position. He might not. Um, I think they need to rethink things. Uh, but again, that's just my my opinion there. Uh, let's see here. What's the real deal with Prince Kali? Uh, he he won't uh, he won't be playing this year, but uh, you can look to see Prince Kali in the future. Last question here before we get to the interview portion of our podcast uh, from Denver Door. What would you consider success for this game against Georgia? Beating the spread, staying competitive until halftime, or staying healthy and keeping turnovers to a minimum? Well, number one, I mean, I think beating the spread would be a success. Um, you know, they haven't they haven't beat the spread at all this season in any game. So that 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 kind of adds to a lot of the frustration, I think, embarrassment for Vandy fans. Um, I think that's why a lot of people are staying away from betting uh, betting Vandy in these games. Staying competitive until halftime. That'd be a huge win. Massive win. I mean, look at what I look at what UAB did against Georgia. That was in Athens. They put up 21 points and they they fought. They they competed. Dilfer was showing emotion on the sidelines. I just think emotion and passion and showing that you want it uh, w- would be a sign of success. Obviously, you want to stay healthy. It's going to be hard when you're playing a team like Georgia, who's as as physical as they are. Uh, and turnovers. Vanderbilt has played clean football the last couple of games. I know the result hasn't shown on the scoreboard, but you know, you obviously you'd like to keep turnovers to a minimum. So all of those. I mean, I, I think most important, staying competitive, not just until halftime, but throughout the game, compete. Throughout the entire game, I think that would show uh, some respect, uh, you know, from the Georgia side. Fans would start to respect Vanderbilt, and I think that would start to change uh, some of the perception of Vanderbilt. All right, that wraps up the mailbag. Closing out this first segment, our guest line, as we roll into our guest, is brought to you by John Leffen and the Maynard Nexon Government Contracts Group. Maynard Nexon advises government contractors on all aspects of their businesses. They've got a proud focus on matching legal solutions to business needs. Give them a call, 256-551-0171. Again, that's 256-551-0171. All right, again, we've got Joey Dwyer. What to watch for with Joey Dwyer heading heading into this matchup with Georgia. And then Kevin Ingram, sideline reporter for the Vanderbilt Radio Network. We'll talk about some of the struggles on offense uh, the quarterback situation with Seals and Swan, uh, obviously facing Georgia, uh, the the uh, number one team in the country. And then we'll close it out with Anthony Dasher, the managing editor at UGASports.com, Georgia's rival site. We'll talk about the difference between this year and last season uh, with Georgia, the difference between Carson Beck and Stetson Bennett running this offense, the dominance of Brock Bowers, and much more coming up next. But first, what to watch for with Joey Dwyer. All right, what to watch for with Joey Dwyer, Vanderbilt and Georgia coming up Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff. Joey, let's start with covering the spread. Your first question, can Vanderbilt cover its first spread of the season? There's a lot of other historical, uh, I think, records that Vanderbilt could break on Saturday, and I want to get to one of them in particular uh, that um, surprised me, actually. But can Vanderbilt cover the spread? Joey, un- Unironically, they haven't covered a spread all season long, and and this will be something to watch. Yeah, I think the spread kind of tells you what the expectations of this group are nationally by very educated people versus what's actually happening. And Vanderbilt is 0-7 against the spread, so that means it's uh, underperformed relative to its expectations in all seven games. The only other team that hasn't got a win against the spread is Illinois, and they've played one less game. Vanderbilt's not covering the spread by 5.4 points a game. So there's a lot of work here. And I think really what you're looking for, you're probably not going to be Georgia. We'll get that out of the way early. But you're looking to just kind of make this respectable and kind of live up to your expectations. Vanderbilt's a 31-point underdog in this game. If you look at Caesars, I'm sure other places have other lines. But this is a game that I think Vanderbilt could kind of show maybe some positive trajectory, even if it only loses by 25, because it'll cover its first spread. It'll finally live up to an expectation heading into a game. Yeah, we joke, Joey, but in all seriousness, I, I mean, there there are things to accomplish if you're Vanderbilt, right? I mean, you you are bringing in the number one team in the country to your house. Uh, see how you see how you match up. I mean, let's go, let's go play, right? Buckle up and 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 
you know, no matter who you're playing, you know, you, you get another opportunity to 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 gauge, you know, how you match up with a top five team in the country, arguably the number one team in the country, and at least AP wise, they are. Uh, so, in all seriousness, I mean, yeah, we make jokes. Georgia fans make jokes. You know, we we get that, but I mean, there are things to be accomplished um, on Saturday against Georgia. And your th- second thing to watch here is Vanderbilt's health in the secondary. And this is certainly uh, a thing to watch. And I asked this uh, to Kevin Ingram coming up, and, and Vanderbilt just hasn't been able to be totally healthy at the in the secondary. I mean, they they just haven't. I know B.J. Anderson uh, won't be available. Martel Hyde is now questionable after the injury he suffered last week. Jalen Mahoney uh, will be back, but Ricky Wright is out. So <laughs> it's just you can't get everybody healthy at once. Yeah, it feels like in the secondary, Vanderbilt can barely get anybody healthy at any point. Trudeau Berry is the only real starter who's going to play this game. It seems like Bartel Hyde, I guess, has a chance to play as well. I think that'd be a nice experience for him, too. I think this is a game where you could really see Martel Hyde maybe come into his own against some of the better receivers in the country. So for his sake and for just putting out good tape for his sake, I would hope that he'll be yeah. able to play. Um, I think there's a big difference between Martel Height and Tyson Russell the more I watch. So Martel Heights is going to be the one to watch there. Jalen Mahoney will be back. Like you said, to Ricky Wright will be out. B.J. Anderson will be out. Vanderbilt's going to have to go young in that secondary again and old, I guess, in some cases with, like, John House. But tackling has to be better no matter who's out there. And I think there's no excuse for the way they've tackled in the secondary, whether it's Tyson Russell, whether it's John House. Those guys should be ready to make plays. And uh, – haven't been to this point. So Vanderbilt's going to need it starters at some point, but could be in for a rough outing in the secondary without Dericky Wright and Jalen Mahoney, who in my mind are Vanderbilt's two best secondary players. And then probably it's third best secondary player in Mortel Height. Yeah. And you could be in for a rough day if the front seven doesn't come to play, right? I mean, against Florida, Vanderbilt got pushed around uh, against Wake Forest. I thought Vanderbilt got pushed around not as much so against Missouri, but Missouri really just aired it out and said, we're going to beat you with our receivers. So it'll be interesting to see how much Georgia runs the football, right? Do they try to get their running game into more of a rhythm? Because they're, let's face it, Joey, this Georgia running game is not as dominant as they've been in the past, right? They've been banged up. Uh, their offensive line hasn't been as good in the run blocking game. Um, so it'll be interesting. Uh, but for Vanderbilt, can they hold up, right? It's another sign of, okay, let's see how we match up. Right? Can we, you know, if if we compete and if we do hold our own, that's a good sign heading down the stretch of this season. But if you don't, you know, you know, you've got more work to do. Yeah, for sure. I think the pass rush is going to be something to watch. Can they put some pressure on Carson Beck and make him make some decisions that he doesn't want to? I think that's really your only hope in the secondary on Saturday. I think Georgia's receivers are better than Vanderbilt's corners, even if Vanderbilt has all its starters. Vanderbilt's not going to have probably one of its starters at corner. Maybe it has Martel Height. It's probably not going to have its two safeties. So something to watch here for sure. And I think Vanderbilt's pass rush and run defense, frankly, is going to be something to watch for. The narrative around Vanderbilt's run defense, I think, is a little bit different than what I have in my mind. I think people think it's a little bit better than it has been. It was good early. But now that teams are intentional about running on them, I think they're in real trouble. Florida was intentional about putting it on the ground. Wake Forest was and both ran for over 200 yards. Kentucky wasn't super intentional about running it. Against Vanderbilt, I think they ran for 100-something yards. So if you want to establish a run game against Vanderbilt, you can. And I think that's a big issue to this point. Lastly here, well, we got a couple more things, actually. Um, Vanderbilt's young players. You, you, you mentioned here Cedric Alexander, tight end Cam Johnson, Cheryl Humphreys, Barry Agu. You know, we're starting to see more and more young guys uh, in, in, on, the, on the playing field. Joey and I think Humphreys. I'm going to get you to ask Clark about him today and, and get a status report on Humphreys. But you know that's what you see late in these seasons, Joey. When you got a struggling team right now and the veterans, you know, quite frankly, just aren't cutting it. You've got to throw your young guys out there, but you've also got to take it with a grain of salt if they're making mistakes, right? So I mean, I think for fans, it's exciting, but it's also like eh, they're not really producing quite yet. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword because obviously if you're Clark Lee, and I think he said this a couple weeks ago, you want to have your older guys out there because that shows kind of your track record of player development. You want those guys to be factors for you. And a lot of those guys haven't been factors for him. Look at corner where they started with two older guys to start the season. Now it's Martel Height and Trudeau Berry getting most of the snaps when Height's healthy and when Berry's healthy. I mean, Billy, 
look at running back. Patrick Smith was the guy who started the year. Chase Gillespie was the guy who started the year. Now, now Cedric. Cedric Alexander got, I think, I think he doubled the snaps of Gillespie and Smith on Saturday. So yep. Vanderbilt's young players are the guys now. And I guess the one positive you want to take from this game is that maybe you find that you have something of one of those guys against a team like this and on this big stage. Maybe even a guy like Cedric Alexander who struggled at times recently, maybe if he can get going a little bit against Georgia, maybe that's a confidence point for him in the offensive line. Billy, you're kind of grasping at straws here, but you look at the young guys and maybe if one of them has a big game, that's something you can hang your head on moving forward. Maybe Trudeau Berry has a good game or Darren Agu or Issa Wataha. Something kind of has to break in Vanderbilt's favor here, you think? and you would think maybe that's one of the young guys showing out on a bigger stage. Lastly here, you mentioned the stage. Uh, there there will be some NFL scouts here, uh, probably more specifically watching Georgia. But, I mean, realistically, I think you can say Vanderbilt's got at least three guys that we could be seeing on Sundays in the future. Will Shepard, C.J. Taylor. Oh, and don't forget about Matt Hayball. I mean, I legitimately think Matt Hayball is an NFL guy. Joey, and he, he's fun to watch. It's almost like that's the most exciting thing about Vanderbilt's product uh, right now. Um, in all seriousness, I mean, you know, he, he is that, he has been that good, and he is that good. So that's something to watch in this one. I know it's not really, you know, that's more of an individual spotlight type deal, but I mean, we're grasping at straws here. You got to you gotta talk about that because it, it is an opportunity for these guys to face up with the number one team in the country and show what you're made of in front of you know, a bunch of NFL scouts. Absolutely. I think a big day for Will Shepard where he kind of shows he's engaged throughout the whole day, blocks well, makes plays through the air. I think that could do him wonders. If C.J. Taylor can bring it in terms of tackling and kind of show that sideline to sideline speed, there's something as well. Matt Hayball, I think, is going to do his thing. And uh, the NFL scouts will probably love to see that. You know what? I, who I really hate this for, though, is DeRicky Wright, because I think DeRicky Wright would have had yeah. an opportunity to show out in front of them. That's a guy who I think could play on Sundays as well. I think DeRicky Wright is mm-hmm. a really talented guy with good frame. So it sucks for DeRicky Wright. seems like a good guy as well. So uh, DeRicky Wright not having that opportunity on the big stage is going to suck. But for Vanderbilt's other guys, I think that's something that I mean, you don't take for granted. That's why they came here to play in the SEC, to play on CBS. I mean, this is your chance, guys. Darren Agu, I think, is a guy. Issa Wataha, guys who could maybe put themselves in the back of NFL scouts' minds as well for in a few years, maybe Martel Height and Trudeau Berry. This is their first look at those guys. And I think Vanderbilt's guys maybe could show out here and prove that they should be on the radar of NFL scouts. That's kind of what I'm looking for here. Maybe Matt Haywall shows out as well, which would be – Really fun. Special teams make special teams, Billy. No doubt about it. And uh, Joey, Vanderbilt has not scored a touchdown against Georgia since 2018. A streak of 12 consecutive quarters against the Bulldogs without scoring a touchdown. I know you throw the the COVID year in there. Uh, you know, they didn't play. You know, Vanderbilt basically, you know, didn't have enough players, so they didn't they they couldn't play Georgia that year. Um, but nonetheless there's your motivation if you're Vandy. I mean, let, let's put up a touchdown. You know, let, let's get something on the board here to show that we can score. I mean, Joey, looking back at Georgia's schedule, UAB put up 21 points uh, on Georgia. You know, but last week they held Kentucky to 13, right? So it, it, it's kind of give or take there. You know, it'll be interesting. Though. Last time Georgia went on the road, it was against Auburn, and it was a tight game. And I'm not saying this is going to be a tight game, but George, I don't think Georgia is the same Georgia – of the last couple of years. Now they could three peat. They could, you know, they, they are the number one team. Maybe they're a little bit more, less bulletproof than they've been potentially. Um, again, I don't think Vanderbilt wins this game, but I don't think they particularly come close, but Joey, there's your motivation right there. You haven't scored on this team since 2018. That's some great motivation, Billy. And I think that kind of tells you where we're at right now. We, I'm looking forward to seeing Brock Bowers play in person. I'm sure you are as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, and especially for Vanderbilt fans, I mean, you do get to see the number one team of the country in Georgia. And, you know, I mean, I guess that's something. But no, in all seriousness, good good opportunity for Vanderbilt. They they get the number one team coming to town and uh, then they get a bye week. And then you start rolling down the stretch of the SEC season and see what you can do. So uh, we will see what Vanderbilt can do on the Saturday against Georgia. 11 a.m. kickoff on CBS, nationally televised game. Uh, Joey, 
Thanks for taking the time, brother. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to being there on Saturday and seeing if Vanderbilt can maybe uh, wreck some stuff. I guess you mentioned that Alabama game, and uh, at least nobody talked crap to Georgia before this game. Rolling along here on our pregame show. Now happy to be joined by Kevin Ingram, Vanderbilt Radio Network sideline reporter. You can hear him with Andrew Allegretta and Norman Jordan on 102.5 The Game. Uh, certain days, 94.9. They've got, uh, of course, Commodore Hour every week uh, on Monday nights. Kevin, let's start. And thanks again for coming on. Oh, sure. Anytime. With offensively. Um, and, and, you know, we, we talked about turnovers, I think, the last time you were on. And, and you know, we talked about cl- playing clean football and against Florida. And really, for the most part, at least Missouri, it was cleaner football, right? More, more efficient. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you saw lack of mistakes. How do you think that... I mean, how do you look at that, right? Because now they've played clean football, but result hasn't really changed much. Um, so how do you sort of interpret that? Yeah, you can look at it a lot of different ways. And they have played cleaner the last uh, couple games anyway. Uh, not as many penalties or, or turnovers, certainly. The turnover department has been much better now. The penalties uh, have been a little bit different. Uh, you go back to the Missouri game, it felt like some of the penalties were actually hidden because there were there were some that were up front. They were offside calls that Georgia got, or I'm sorry, Missouri got a free play and and uh, turned it into something. And uh, you know, and then there are some procedure calls on the other side as far as you know guys jumping early on the offensive line. And then in the in the Florida game, there were a couple really costly penalties, and maybe it wasn't so much the amount of them, but when they happen, you think about those two on that last drive of the first half for Florida when uh, Vanderbilt probably could have held them to a field goal, but then there are a couple personal foul calls and Florida gets mm-hmm. uh, some, some free yardage and first downs and and they turn it into a touchdown with uh, less than a minute to play. So those are really big, but they have played a little cleaner football. They took taken better care of the ball, haven't seen as many turnovers, and that's helped, but it always feels like there are those big key spots in these games where Vanderbilt just hasn't been able to make the plays that they need to. Uh, for the Florida game, it was that drive right before the half when when Florida scored and uh, added a little daylight. And then again in the third quarter when uh, Vanderbilt had a chance to get off the field and couldn't get a stop on a third and 15. And Florida put together a, a long scoring drive that took up a big chunk of the third quarter and a big chunk of the field, too, and uh, was able to punch it into the end zone. Those were key spots in that game. And uh, third down was key on both sides of the football. We'll probably talk about that. But. Yeah, uh, a little cleaner, but again, you, you got to make big plays when you have the chance if you're going to win these games. All right, let's go to the quarterback uh, situation right now, Kev. Um, Clark said they, you know, they've had a few weeks to get AJ to 100, uh, percent and and he was on a pitch count a couple of weeks ago, so he has technically been available. Uh, but Ken Seals is still running uh, with the ones. Do you think we see AJ Swan uh, th- th- this season again, Kevin? I would think so. Um, I certainly wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he's he's been available the last couple games, um, and with the the schedule being the way it is, you know. And again, this is me talking. This is nothing from anybody mm-hmm. around the program. But you, maybe you take another week here. You give him another week to heal up a little bit, and then you come back after the open week and, and see what you got and what, how healthy he is. Uh, the nice thing is that, that Ken Seals has played and played pretty well. And uh, you have a, a very experienced and veteran backup you can bring in for A.J. Swan, and you can basically run the same offense. You don't have to change really much of anything. Uh, and I think Ken, Ken's done a nice job, and I'm happy for him, too, getting that opportunity. But as far, as far as A.J., um, yeah, I think we will likely see him again before the end of the season. You would think so anyway, because you got you got a pretty good chunk of the season to go. You still got uh, after Georgia this week. It's again a strange schedule. We got Ole Miss, Auburn, South Carolina, and Tennessee still to come. So I, I would think we'll uh, see number five again here in 2023. You mentioned earlier the third down struggles. I think with the fourth downs, I think Vanderbilt is one for 13 uh, on conversion downs. Uh, and and Clark brought that up. You know, I think he talked about that. It's just not going to cut it. Um, for Vanderbilt, Kevin, that has to change, right? That that has to change, especially uh, not just against Georgia, but even against you know teams like Auburn, uh, South Carolina. If you do want to end up picking them off, uh, that's got to be better. Yeah, no doubt about it, Billy. Uh, that that is, you know, that's one of those stats that tells a whole lot of the story of a game. I and mean, third down is always so key. Uh, it feels like in this Georgia game coming up, and uh, Andrew and I did our, our keys to the game yesterday. Uh, one of the things that I talked about was, and, and it's a simple thing, and it's a key for every game, but the early downs, not getting behind the chains, not getting right. 
losing yardage on first or second down, you end up in a situation where it's, it's third and 14 instead of a more manageable third and four. Uh, that, that's going to be so key, and, and Vanderbilt's going to have to convert those and keep the chains moving and, and grind out some drives to, to have a chance to, to uh, you know, hang in there and, and, and give yourself a chance to win in the second half. It's, it's a big challenge facing Georgia, there's no question. But, but third down is always so key in these games. And, yeah, if you only convert one time on third down, you're not going to win very many football games. And uh, Clark and I talked about that, and I talked about it too with Ethan Barr after the game you know, from a more defensive standpoint. And, uh, that that spot in the third quarter when they good they they had Florida backed up in an, in in a bad down and distance and the Gators were able to convert there so that that was a key spot too on the other side. Kevin, obviously with Georgia coming in, Brock Bowers obviously will be a hands handful uh, in the secondary. It's like Vanderbilt, you know, they can't get everybody healthy at once, and and that's that's the case for a lot of teams. B.J. Anderson will not be available, uh, but Jalen Mahoney is now back. Uh, Martell Height I saw is questionable, uh, and then Dericky Wright is doubtful. So. You know that that I feel like that's been part of the case, Kev. It's you know it's it's hard to to build chemistry and and unity with a defense when um when, when you're when you're so banged up, especially like this Vanderbilt secondary has been. They really have been. It's been a tough season for that group. You went into the year thinking, okay, yeah, we got some young guys, we got some experienced players too, and and, and those will serve us well. Well. In that last game, Martell Height got hurt in the first half against Florida and didn't return. To Ricky Wright's battle that ankle, it feels right like almost the whole season. I mean, going back yeah. to the you know first couple games, um, they, he's tried to to play through it the best he could, and he got out there against Florida and played a little bit, then came out of the game and wasn't available in the second half. And, and you've had other injuries as well. Jalen Mahoney wasn't available. Kane Patterson was out, and I was not in the secondary, but. Uh, th- those are key guys that you're missing and uh, ones that you're counting on. And yeah, football is always a bit of a war of attrition as you make your way through a season. But yeah, those injuries have, have really made it tough on this defense, especially in the secondary where you're, you're forced to, and it's good experience for these players, but you're forced to play some guys that uh, maybe wouldn't have received that amount of snaps uh, you know, in, in a perfect world. And uh, you, you rely on, on players that aren't as experienced and you, you hope that they can get out there and hold their own and make some plays, but it, it, the, the injuries have made it difficult. Well, in the secondary, Kev, specifically, you know, they've had to learn through a lot of painful mistakes, uh, no, not just in the secondary, right? I mean, I think you've seen some linebackers uh, learning through mistakes, re- receivers, offensive line, whoever it is, but that's been a common theme this year uh, for Vanderbilt. Do you think down the stretch of this season, you know, w- w- well, like I said, winnable games still coming up, you know, after this Georgia game, and you've got another bye kind of, you know, plucked in the middle there, that, that Vanderbilt can – can build some some chemistry finally, and, and and because we saw it last year, we we saw that at the end of the season last year, when you know, let's face it, Kevin, most people probably thought Vanderbilt was was down and out last year, but all of a sudden they pick out they pick off a couple of SEC wins down the stretch here. You think this team ha- has that uh, has that type of ball in them? I think so. I, you you want to think so because you, you got again you got about a third of the season still to go and. Um, yeah, you hope you can pick off somebody and get an SEC win or two down the stretch here. And last year was a lot of fun when Kentucky won that game and then beat Florida at home after that the, a week later. But you just hope that, especially coming out of the, this first open week in a couple of weeks when you resume the season, that maybe the team will be a little bit healthier and you have a chance to to uh, finish strong here. And, and yeah, you know, you can't you can't look at all the games and say, ah, we're just you know we're gonna just coast to the finish line here, and and it is what it is. I mean, you want, you want to get out here and win some football games, so yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully better health and uh, better success ahead. But it, it's so difficult in this league; it doesn't matter who you're playing; it's going to be a tough game, whether it's home or road or, or whatever. Georgia, Kevin, they roll into Nashville, and, and you know you mentioned it earlier. One of your keys, I think, that's a great key, right? The, the early downs. What else are you looking for, uh, right, in this matchup? What are what's another maybe two or three two or three small things you're looking at here? Especially, you'll be on the sideline, so you'll have that uh, that view. Uh, what else are you looking for in this matchup against the Bulldogs? Yeah, it's really tough when you play these guys, and they're not only the uh, you know the best team in the SEC; they've been the best team and program in the country the last couple of seasons. They they have they've become the standard for college football, and so yeah, you want to see what you have uh, against the nation's best and. I thought it was really interesting last week going into their game against Kentucky in Athens. There's a lot of talk that this was the year that Kentucky was going to pick them off. And, and I'm I'm thinking, you know, Kentucky is really good, and we've seen it. They came here and, and played against Vanderbilt and won, and then they really beat up Florida the week after that. But I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know if Kentucky is ready to win that football game or not. 
against that team in that setting. And uh, Georgia had their way with them, and, and it was close for a while, but uh, Georgia was Georgia in the end. And, uh, yeah. it, it's just such a challenge. There, there is so much to deal with and, and, and just so many – and they've reloaded at a lot of spots, but it always feels like they have that depth to to do that and not really miss a whole lot. You mentioned Brock, Brock Bowers, but he is a very experienced guy, and he's, you know, you figure down the road he's going to make a lot of money playing in the NFL yeah. because that that guy's an awesome player. He might be the best player in college football or close to it anyway. I mean, you got to figure mm-hmm. he'll be in the the Heisman conversation when it's all said and done. Yeah, but this defense it just always feels like they reload and. I've said it for years where you win football games in the SEC in large part is up front, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, if you can have a whole stockpile of good defensive linemen that you can rotate and not not miss anything, that's that's where you're going to win. And Georgia has proven that year after year. They're, they're just so solid across the board. I mean, and again, they they made big changes at key spots. And you know, Carson Beck is taking over a quarterback, and you know that that's been a change too. But Gosh, it just always feels like uh, there are certain positions for Georgia. They just they're always loaded. Running back, defensive line, it, and again, it's across the board for those guys. It's just a terrific program. There's no doubt about it. And they come to Nashville on Saturday, uh, 11 a.m. kickoff on CBS, so nationally televised game. Kevin will be uh, on the call there on 102.5. The game. It's going to be a beautiful day. High of just 64. Maybe a little windy, so uh, maybe bring the the quarter zip down there, Kev. Maybe even a sweatshirt, <laughs> huh? Yeah, I know it's going to be a little different. We've had uh, we've had a lot of hot weather this season, and uh, the game in Florida turned out to be really nice last week. Uh, it started out it was really hot and humid, and then it came a little rain shower right just right before kickoff and maybe just a little bit into the first quarter. Then after that, it cooled off and it was really nice and had some nice cloud cover that kept it from, you know, just baking like you do sometimes when you're down (laughs) in Florida. Uh, But yeah, we, we've had some hot weather this season, kind of looking forward to to some more moderate temperatures. We, it always feels like we don't have a whole lot of fall. I mean, it's either like really hot or or it's winter time. Uh, We don't have a lot of the just nice, you know, 60 degree days where you can wear a sweatshirt and some shorts or something like that. That's my favorite kind of weather, but we don't get very much of that uh hey it, it should be really nice on saturday i know there's some showers like overnight friday into saturday morning but after that i think for for the game i think it's gonna be really really nice so uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see everybody out there looking forward to it that's kevin ingram sideline reporter for the vanderbilt radio network thanks for taking the time kev anytime billy appreciate All right, it to man. close out this pregame show for vanderbilt and georgia i'm now happy to be joined by Anthony Dasher, the managing editor for UGASports.com, the uh, Georgia rival site. Anthony, thanks for taking the time. I want to start with Georgia this year compared to Georgia last year. You've probably Mm -hmm. been asked this a thousand times. Uh, From my perspective, there's some subtle differences, but especially after that Kentucky game, it looks pretty similar, or at least starting (laughs) to look pretty similar to last year. What is the difference, or, or, or is there really much of a difference, at least so far? Yeah, there's differences. I mean, there's some certain players Georgia does not have this year, like like Jalen Carter, who was such a dominant force up front, you know, last season. Of course, you know, brand new quarterback. Uh, they're kind of, you know, almost like going about things, you know, differently so much for on the offense. I mean, they run the same plays they did last year, but but Carson Beck is a uh, does a little bit differently than you know than, than Stetson did. Uh, but you know, otherwise uh, they're they're doing a lot of the, of the same things. Just some of the Personnel is, is different right now, but you mentioned the Kentucky game. That was really the first time all year long we've, we've seen Georgia look like people used to see Georgia look. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they, they struggled uh, a few times earlier in the season, but, uh, you know, they got back on track against the Wildcats, uh, you know, a game which uh, a lot of people, you know, thought would be pretty close. I've even picked Kentucky to win that football game, but like, like you said, uh, Georgia, you know, looked like Georgia there, and uh, we'll see what they can do moving forward. Yeah, after the Auburn game, yeah, I think people are kind of sitting around wondering what what could Georgia be this year. Now they got Kentucky mm-hmm. rolling in, and uh, they just wallop uh, Kentucky. And yeah. Carson Beck, I thought was phenomenal, three hundred eighty nine yards, four touchdowns. Um, I think Brock Bowers. Uh, I think I saw where he broke a AJ Green's uh, career receiving touchdown record. Yeah. So, you know, this Georgia offense, I think it's slowly developing. But when you look at it. Anthony, I mean, I think Carson Beck is more talented than Stetson Bennett. I mean, I think would you put a higher ceiling maybe even on this year's offense? Uh, we'll we'll see. You know, I do like the receiving core this year. I, I think the, the wide receiver core I think is, is is deeper. You know, better with some of the additions. You know, they've got they brought in Ra Ra Thomas. They brought in Don Lovett. You know, from Missouri. 
So I think from a depth standpoint, you know, they're getting Lab McConkie back, who, uh, you know, missed the first four games of the year with a back injury. So uh, a lot deeper there, I think they maybe were, uh, you know, uh, you know, a season ago. But 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 Carson, again, I mean, he, he's a different quarterback. Stetson was 5'11", 195. I mean, Carson's more your prototypical NFL-style quarterback, 6'3", 210, 215 pounds. Uh, moves pretty well in the pocket. I think moves a little better than some people maybe give him some, some credit for. But, uh you know he's he's done nothing but uh you know play really played played well the entire season long enough early on Georgia fans and not a lot of them were uh you know all that enthralled they still remember what Stetson Bennett all that's you know pressure on everyone's mind and you know, leading Georgia to two straight national titles is going to be tough for any quarterback to kind of follow that but I think Carson is doing an outstanding job and he's taking care of all those weapons they haven't even talked about Brock Bowers yet you mentioned you know Brock has a chance to become uh you know just a second Bulldog receiver in history to have a over a thousand yards receiving you know. Terrence Edwards did that in 2002, I believe it was, when he had like 1,004 yards, and Brock's set mm-hmm. low past that this year. Can he win the Heisman, Anthony? I mean, realistically. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I mean, no tight end has, has won a Heisman trophy, and I don't – you know, he had really to put some amazing stats. But but it's like Coach Smart said, if you want to – we're going to vote on the best football player, then, yeah, I think you – I mean, he, he get a lot of – support for that right now. But the Heisman Trophy is so much about statistics and everything like that. And as good as his stats are, there's going to be somebody else out there with better stats. I know we're diving into this offense, but I think, you know, Vanderbilt fans probably be interested to see, uh, you know, is there any drop-off? Uh, the answer is no, that there, there really hasn't been much drop-off. No. I want to ask you about the running game, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- if there is any drop-off, I, I mean, I, I think it would probably be there. Uh, Dejan yeah. Edwards is their leading rusher, 321 yards, five <laughs> touchdowns. Uh, but, you know, they just haven't been as dominant, at least statistically, uh, on the ground. Uh, what do you attribute that to? Um, and, and, and what do you think Georgia – might turn into on the ground this year? Well, number one, they've been hurt. I mean, it, every single back they have right now has been injured in some way, shape, or form. Dejan missed the first two games with a knee injury. You know, they lost Branson Robinson before the season started, uh, torn, you know, <clears throat> teletendum. Uh, Kendall Milton, who is just now getting back, uh, you know, it, it been banged up his old career and missed, missed a couple of games to start the season. Um, um, Andrew Paul, a freshman – Retro freshman coming off of an ACL injury, and Roderick Robinson, a true freshman, has been on the shelf for three weeks now of a high ankle sprain. So they haven't been healthy, number one. But you know they're getting Milton back, and I think he can provide. You know he's done it in the past. It can provide a little more impact there, maybe more of a breakaway threat. A guy who can you know maybe a little faster than what they've got with Dejan right now. He does a great job. Don't get me wrong. He's one of these backs that can really do a gets a tough yard yardage. He can really do a good job. You know running between the tackles, but. They, you know, the running game is something that Georgia has to has to have if they want to be successful. You see Georgia with a lot of play action passes, and really the only way play action works is when you have a strong running game. And again, we saw that last week against against Kentucky when Georgia's able to run the ball. You see Carson Beck able to go downfield with a lot more consistency. So if they want to be as good as they want to be, that running game is going to have to be successful. Defensively, you mentioned the loss of, of Jalen Carter, but I look at those two linebackers, Sm- Small Munden and Jamin Dumas Johnson, just yeah. looking like freaks out there. Uh, I think Dumas Johnson has two and a half sacks, four and a half tackles for loss. So, you know, yeah. like usual, Georgia's got those those stud linebackers. Is how good is this defense? I mean, obviously, we, we've seen how good it is against Kentucky and especially Auburn, um, but. I mean, what's the difference between this year's defense and last well, year's? In my opinion, defense is still not, you know, as good as the, the previous two years. I mean, I'm not getting a ton of, uh, you know, push up the middle as far as, you know, Kirby Smart talks about all the time about, you know, creating havoc, have your defense lemming, you know, create as much havoc as possible. And so far they haven't really done much of that, to be be honest with you. And like I said, they're missing some, some, some really good guys that they lost you know, to the NFL and, you know, and, and while they've got some good players, there's really nobody, you know, who I would call right now dynamic like Georgia has had, you know, the past couple of uh, seasons. But it's, it's, it's a good defense. It's a solid defense. Uh, they have been susceptible from time to time, you know, with teams, you know, throwing the football. Uh, got a couple of young guys in the second year, which are, st- you know, still trying to, you know, you know, figure things out just a little bit. But, uh, but overall, uh, it's a defense they think is they you know and I, I think so too. It's got better as, as the season is going along, but they just not quite have that. I don't know that oomph about them so far. If you want to call it that, yeah. 
that I think the previous two years had. Anthony, it's been five years since Vanderbilt has scored a touchdown on Georgia, which is is, is <laughs> yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, obviously, Georgia's been top five team. Vanderbilt, you know, this is probably one of the rougher stretches Vanderbilt has ever had. Um, and I asked somebody this earlier this week. With fans, they're probably looking to <laughs> to keep that streak alive. Do you think that's anything that Smart and this staff refers back to, or 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 none of that? I mean, it, yeah, no. with with some programs, maybe so, but I mean, fans. That's probably think, more something yeah. for the fans. Yeah, I don't think Coach Smart. You know, they don't set any kind of a you know shutout goals or anything of that nature. They just want to go out and and play mistake free football, play with a lot of energy, and and just you know play the Georgia way, I guess, for a lack of a better way of way of saying it. I don't think they really, you know, revenge is just, just something, you know, or, or however you want to call it, any, any kind yeah. of little bulletin board stuff is, is something more for fans to, to enjoy and have banner about. But, no, I don't think Georgia worries too much about that kind of thing. Well, speaking of the fans, uh, obviously there will be a ton of Georgia fans coming up to Nashville. You got any read? I know there's construction going on. There may be some fans uh, turning down a Nashville trip because of that. But uh, you got any read on how many how many red will be up here? No, there'll there'll be a lot. I mean, every year that Georgia goes to Vandy, even with the construction, like I said, going on. I was up there for media days. Man, that was a it was a mess. Good night. That was yeah. a, that was that was not fun. I took Uber every every time I had to go out, so I wasn't even trying to drive and that stuff. But uh, but yeah, that won't keep Georgia fan from showing up. And I'm sure there'll be a a very, very strong contingent of uh, people, people in red and black uh, in Nashville on Saturday. It won't be a surprise. Anthony, thank you so much for taking sure. the time. Uh, looking forward to I'll be up there in the booth Saturday, so looking Ooh. forward to, to maybe meeting you and, yep. uh, and, and, hey. and getting, this, getting this thing rolling. We'll do it, man. All right. Thanks, Anthony. Sure, Billy. That'll do it for another pregame show this week. It's Vanderbilt and number one Georgia, 11 a.m. kickoff on Saturday. You can watch it on CBS. First game of a doubleheader. Later that day, you got Tennessee and Texas A&M. So you got a couple of good games there to watch on CBS. This podcast has always been free, and we plan for it to always be free. So here's how you can help keep it that way. Number one, give the podcast a review and a five-star rating. That helps us get noticed. If you're listening and haven't subscribed to VandySports.com yet, please do. It's $99 a year or $9.99 a month and helps us tremendously. Secondly, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel. That is also free. We've got press conferences, uh, podcasts, pregame shows, postgame shows, interviews, and all kinds of different content rolling up on our YouTube channel, so give that a subscribe. And then finally, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, email chrislee at chrislee70 at gmail.com. Again, that's chrislee70 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again soon with more episodes of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.